Okay, hi everybody. I'm Tony Marcolini. I'm an attorney and a professor here in the uh, great state of New Jersey. I'm joined today with my co-hosts, John Hartman, uh, also an author and an attorney, and Marty Mangello, former White House chef, executive chef at Camp David, uh, author, and just all around wonderful human being. Uh, so today, and first let me say, before we get to our guest, I have to I have to throw this out there. For those of you who are watching us on YouTube, as opposed to listening on like iHeartRadio or something, uh, we are not wearing the same outfit like three weeks in a row. So, you know, one of those behind-the-scenes things, we actually record multiple episodes in the same day. Uh, so that's why we are all wearing the same outfits. Uh, so I had to get that out of the way. The men won't care. They won't even notice. But there are women out there now going, didn't you think we're that last week? Like, what's they have one outfit? Don't they change? Uh, change for three weeks. That's yeah, what it was. Right, exactly. Like, don't they? She's still in the same outfit. Like, the women caught See, John, that. John's crafty. He's like, a, I got my different jacket. John did Good. change his blazer. And he got I rid of the... He got rid of the uh, Sears sucker. Now I got this. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, today we have with us uh, Seamus McDonough. Uh, for those of you who don't know the name, uh, and I don't know who doesn't know his name, uh, he's an actor and a former boxer. Uh, you probably know him from the heavyweight, woo, there he goes sideways on us, uh, from the heavyweight uh, championship with, uh, with Evander Holyfield. Uh, he's had just such an interesting life that we really wanted to have him on and uh, pick his brain, talk a little bit about his journey to get to the point where he is now. So, hello, Seamus. Hello, Tony. And <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, I want to take you back to your early years. Now, if we first met at St. John's University, we both attended, uh, and you were actually an English uh, lit major. If memory, or a literature major, if memory serves me, uh, which was very out of character with the fact that you were just just giant boxer at the time. You're right. <laughs> I, I, was he a boxer in college? Oh yeah, yeah. He was already famous. I mean, you would, if I'm not mistaken, you had won the the New York State Golden uh, Gloves Championship, and in, in, we were in college. Am I right? Exactly. Yes. Yes, Tony, and, and and great to be on here, by the way, and thank you for having me. I uh, was an immigrant from Ireland, of course, and uh, I, uh, what happened to me was I, I'm also an alcoholic, but I haven't drank in 25 years. Congratulations. Mess, my hair's a mess. It's, it looks different. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God, what am I doing with my hair? It's all good. Uh, anyway, so, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I was just work, working in Manhattan, driving the horse and carriages around the park, and and just getting bored with life and uh, drinking too much at the time. And uh, and uh, I actually, uh, I, sometimes I, 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 I am I'm fearful to, to express this, but I actually got suicidal and, and uh, tried to kill myself at 21 years old. And, and, I, and I thought, I thought here I am in, in, another, in this great opportunity. I'm in New York. Um, I loved the place I came there first, and I started to hate the place. And I, I said, what, so what am I doing with my life? And then I realized that I, you know, I hadn't been to college and I didn't have a good job. I had a good job, but I didn't have, didn't have a job that was fulfilling. So I decided to go back to, back to school. So 
My friend Chris Byrne, who was a, a police officer in New York at the time, was in, attending St. John's. I followed the talk there, actually. So I, I, I drove across the bridge. Like, it was like a 10-minute drive from where I lived in Bay Ridge. And then I just joined, got into St. John's. Sure, and you started boxing uh, at the same time, I guess. Well, I think you were always, I think your father, if my memory serves me, your father uh, tr- kind of trained you to box when you were just small, right? Seven, eight years old? Yes, he was He was more than a trainer. He was a, he was, he was a, he was a dad. My hair is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good. John is thinking right now. John's thinking, I wish I had hair to fix. I wish I had that problem. <laughs> anyway, uh, so my, my dad was a professional boxer in England. He had such a rough life. And I, I, it makes me want to cry when I tell about his story, you know. But, but he, uh, he also had, had, had a, large, a large family himself. I have seven brothers and sisters. And we moved from England to Ireland because he didn't want to raise us in England. He wanted to raise us in Ireland. I started a boxing club in the town where we where we were where, we were, uh, where we, he built he built a house. My brother and I helped, helped him build the house in Enfield, County Meath. And uh, as soon as the house was built, he started a boxing club. And within two years, this is how obsessed my dad was with boxing. Within about two years, we were one of the best clubs in the in the, in the region, and they were one of the best clubs in the country. And within a couple of years of boxing, and uh, he 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 just lived boxing. He's like Tiger Woods' dad. He just he was obsessive with boxing, and uh, what happened was I did, we, we did pretty well. My brother and I, we won numerous national titles as, as juveniles, and there was a, a Mayo selection, which is where he was from, in County Mayo in the west of Ireland. It was, my hair's a mess. <laughs> he, he, was, uh, he, was in, uh, uh, he was from there, so they picked me on their team to go to Chicago to fight, uh, so we went came to Chicago in the eight, early eighties, and I had a great fight, one of the best fights of the night. Met met Chair, Mayor Jane Byrne in Chicago, and my dad decided to stay here, like his dad had done in the in the in the forties and fifties. So he stayed, and a year and a half later, I came over with my sister uh, to New York. He moved to New York, and we were we were settled in New York, and uh, I started working, and a couple years later, started St. John's, and that's what happened. That's how that happened, Tony. Well, talk to us about the fight with Holyfield. I'm going to jump over to that because you had just won the, the, the you know, I mean, the New York State uh, Golden Gloves Championship. Of course, you were getting a lot of media attention, which I do remember thinking must have been hard on you while you were a college student trying to be a college student. I mean, I remember, you know, you were around campus and you were just trying to be an ordinary uh, person and you had a lot of notoriety already. Yeah. Well, it was, actually was a big deal for me to go to, go to college uh, uh, um, in the U.S. Um, most of my family didn't go to college. Uh, now, since I went, they all did. Most of them have gone to college. My parents didn't go to college. They, they both finished high school, but didn't go to college. So it was a big deal. And uh, it opened up a new, new world for me. Um, so... In St. John's, I just was was I was fascinated with uh, literature and uh, and 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 how others live their lives. So I was really interested in that. And um, actually, girlfriend Renee, you remember her? I do. And uh, uh, just the psyche, uh, the different psyche, the, the how people approach life, how people basically how people solve their problems, which is what life is about. And uh, their approach, her approach was like, 
fascinating to me. It's like, she does that? And I couldn't believe that I had never even thought that in my life. Uh, she just does this and, and different, do different things to solve their problems. And uh, so there's stuff to learn, you know. And, and there's more than my little world, uh, my little, my little uh, uh, head. It's all in my head, you know. And uh, I uh, was fascinated by it. I, uh, I, I took philosophy and I would just open up another new world. Uh, we had some brilliant teachers in, in, in English literature, uh, Father McCann. Uh, right. Dr. Dunn, oh my God. <laughs> Eric. And, yeah. Uh, you remember Jane Sweeney? I uh, do, Dr. I loved her. Oh my God, yes, yes. And so it opened a brand new world for me. So I moved out of that. At the same time, I was, uh, I, I quit drinking because I, I was 21. I needed to quit drinking. And uh, on January 4th, uh, right before I, I attended my first class at St. John's, I decided to go on the Golden Girls one more year. I've been in the two previous years, and I always lost in the, in the, in the quarterfinals to the eventual winner. It's very political, political sport, also like everything. Anyway, so my record in the Golden Gloves is 15 and two with 15 knockouts. I knocked every, I only won a fight if I got got a got a if I knocked the person out. I won't even knock us or stoppages. And I, I hate I hate the even word knock to knock somebody out. That's so violent to me. Oh my god, <laughs> I hate to even say it, you know. But it's it's the sport, and that's what they did back then, and it's over, and it's it's not occurring now, thank God. But um, so. Um, it opened up a new world for me, and um, I did pretty good in, in, in the, uh, in the uh, late 80s. In, uh, I turned professional to pay for my second semester at St. John's. That's why I turned professional, I swear to God. And, and uh, uh, after uh, a couple of years, three or four years, I, was, I did, won all my fights. I lost one fight along the way, which I was crushed by. I completely changed my life, actually. And... Uh, then um, this opportunity came along where, where Mike Tyson had gone to Japan. To, he was not, Mike Tyson was the overwhelming heavyweight champ of the world, knocking everybody out. He goes to Japan for a warm-up fight, and he gets knocked out. And the whole world was turned upside down in boxing. And I was at the time, I, had, uh, I was three in the world as a cruiserweight, but nine in the world as a heavyweight, because I'd beaten a couple of heavyweights. Actually, I think it was nine or ten. I'm not sure. Someone said recently that I was ten. I don't know, though. It doesn't matter. Uh, so they offered me a fight with Mike Tyson. I was like, I'm a cr Mike Tyson back then was the ominous Mike Tyson, you know. And uh, uh, I um, so my hair. Um, so they offered me the fight. And we said, I'm not going to fight Mike Tyson. And then they offered me a fight with George Foreman. I said, I'm not going to fight George Foreman. And then they offered me a fight with Evander Holyfield. I said, I'm not going to fight any of them. But then they made me, they told me, they reminded me that if I beat uh, um, Evander Holyfield, if I fought him, then I would make $25 million my next fight to fight for the title. So we took the fight, and uh, it was, it's all history now. But it was, it was a bit quick. Uh, my dad was against it. Um, I didn't know what to do. My managers were great guys. Uh, the Barberos from Staten Island and, and Nick Baffey and Joe Baffey and uh, Vinny Sirola, they were my, my managers at the time. But they, they just did the best they could. Next question. <laughs> oh, well, no, I mean, you did a great job. I mean, there's no question yeah. that you held your own in the fight. 
Um, yeah. You had an opportunity, I think, to train with uh, the, the famous Customato as well. Am I right? Did you? Did... Cus, Cus wanted to train me, and I was. Uh, I, I I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. But Cus wanted to train, but then when I, I asked him, I, you know, I was very uh, wanted to find out what kind of methods he used. So he told me he didn't. This his uh, when they, they sparred, they didn't wear headgear, and I thought I wore headgear. I mean, I. I I was conscious of, of, of brain damage in boxing, which I still am, and, and I'm still affected by it. And so I couldn't even fathom that boxing, sparring without headgear. So I said no, and uh, we came back to New York. That's when I came back to New York and won the Golden Gloves. And all this while, aren't you? Weren't you writing to Norman Mailer? I, <laughs> I, uh, yes, I was. I was. We were communicating. I have, I have a bunch of letters from Norman and. Um, I wrote back to him every time, told him about the five, and, and uh, he, he wanted to come to the Holy Field Five. Couldn't make it. He was away doing something, and um, uh, that's that's the uh, poster of, of, of Evander and I. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no one was such – he used to call me, you know, and and, and encourage me and, and share his advice with me because he did some boxing also. Uh, he was he was he was a good good guy, and uh, I was I had no idea about his fame, what he had done, or what he you know. I, I found out I found out later was that, that what he had written, and uh, I did a, I did a project on one of his one of his novels for for a class uh, a book report. Uh, but uh, he he was very kind to me, very kind to me. Wow. Uh, so, and you still talk to uh, to uh, Vanda Holyville? We talk once in a while. Last time I saw him was in New York in Madison Square Garden. Actually, we took a picture and, and uh, uh, communicated a little bit on on one of the social medias. I won't give my any any credit here. So, <laughs> Are most fighters uh, professional about that, or do you hold still? Do people still hold grudges if you beat someone, or how's it work? Some do, some don't. Just like just like regular people, and and. <laughs> I, I still have a little bit of tinge. I, I, I've been working on it every day. Actually, the part of my, the major part of my life now is that I'm 25 years sober, and that, like I said earlier, um, I needed to, uh, some methodology to deal with my problems. How do I deal with my problems? That's that's how you get through your life. And uh, uh, my my way to deal with my problems was to drink. That stopped working. And now, uh, I was introduced 25 and a half years ago, I was introduced to doing the 12 steps on a daily basis, which I, which I uh, did this morning. Uh, uh, I haven't finished my meditation yet because I, I didn't time things correctly. But uh, I do that every morning, and what it does is it gets rid of the grudges and, and the, and the uh, brooding hate and the... Um, all the fears and the worry and all the concerns and all the it, it actually deals with all those problems that I was given was not given any methodologies to deal with it from from, from St. John's or, or from from high school or my parents didn't know it but it was passed on to me someone showed me well talk to us about the meditation I know you're very much into that I um Met this group of people in San Francisco who were uh, very, how could I say, lively and uh, just just uh, fun group of people. And I just wanted to know what what 
what's going on? What's going on with them? They weren't drinking, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How can you have fun without drinking? <laughs> and they, 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 it was explained to me. When I, I'm a very sensitive person, you know. I cry very easily. You know, I was crying. Uh, I think yesterday. You know, uh, I'm kind of going to cry now. No, like, uh, I, uh, I, a very sensitive person, and uh, you know. Uh, um, so when I have fear in my head, I seem to ruminate about thinking about it constantly. You know, uh, if I fear, not being afraid necessarily. Uh, if if uh, if someone's gonna. Uh, you know, is is uh, if I'm walking across the car starts driving fast towards me, I get afraid. You know, but fear would be like right now I'm thinking, am I getting a ticket on my car outside? Or, and you know, that's that's like that's that's stuff that's not uh, happening right now, but it's something that might happen or did happen. So, what I was shown to do was to get a pen. I have a pen in my hand right now. Get a pen and paper, and write down what's bothering me right now. Uh, and I've come to realize that the number one offender in my consciousness, resentment. Uh, and I know now that when I don't get what I want, I get resentful, like a kid. I'm still, you know, I'm almost 50, and I get resentful. <laughs> uh, so I need to write it down. I can't live my life resentfully. Uh, I used to, but then I would drink it away. And that doesn't work anymore. And uh, there was no other methodology uh, passed on to me that would help me deal with the problems right now, which were that I am. So I want to do things. I want to be creative in my life. I don't want to be resenting someone from the past about different things from the past that that's not happening now. Uh, it's like they, someone's described it as as a, uh, rent. They got they got a room in your head and they're not paying any rent. You know, uh, I'm paying the rent. Uh, so uh, I'm talking too much, Tony. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I think it's wonderful. I mean, you're an example. Um, for people struggling with addiction uh, as to how you were able to change your life and found a healthy way forward. That's a, a little bit about why I think we wanted to tell your story in particular because you, know, you did kind of hit bottom, especially after the fight with Holyfield. Uh, and I think you picked yourself up, you know, dusted yourself off and, and truly brought yourself and, and rose out of the ashes, uh, which – is amazing, and I wanted you to tell that story. It's a story of hope. I mean, ultimately, uh, how you. Seamus, can I ask you a question? Who's your fav favorite uh, Irish writer? I think Joyce was my favorite Irish writer. Yeah, I, I love Yeats also, though. Wow, that's some yeah. good what choices. You, what do you like to read? Just in general, if you just have an hour to kill and you want to read a book, what do you what do you like to pick up? I I. I have to listen to uh, stuff on on. I, I like I like I, I love um, educational uh, podcasts. That's my favorite now. And there's there's Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> I love educational podcasts. Uh, I I'm not much into reading fiction. Uh, you know, I, I love movies. I love to I love to write movies. I love to make movies. Uh, well, you're into but, acting now too. You that's a, a, a new focus of your career. I am. I am. It's it's funny. I, I uh, after one of my, my my drinking binges in New York, I was uh, went over to get my car at the pound because I forgot where I parked it. You know, and thank God I don't want to drive drunk, which I did a couple of times. So I went over to get my car, and I, they wanted so much money to get my car. But I didn't have it on me at the time, so I was walking b back to a Hell's Kitchen where I used to drive the horse and carriages. Tony, remember? Right. <laughs> and, uh, I was on the corner of 34th and 11th, and I sat at the corner depressed. 
and uh, waiting for the light to change. And a guy pulls up with the light, and he shouts out my name with a real Dublin accent. He goes, Seamus McDonough, the real Dublin accent. And I, I didn't ask him a question. I heard the Dublin accent. I jumped in the car, and I says, are you going uptown? No, <laughs> 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 no, I was a stranger. He says, yeah. So we jump in the car, and he tells me, on the way uptown, he tells me he's Jimmy Smallhorn. Oh, uh, wow. Pretty fam- a very famous actor in mm. Ireland, a very good friend of mine. Yeah. And, uh, he he uh, had just gotten the lead in an off-Broadway play uh, about Bobby Sands, called Bobby Sands MP by Judy Gabor, way back in the 90s. And uh, me being the grandiose person I am, I said, have they finished auditions? <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I think there's a couple of parts, you know. So I went down and and, and, uh, um, and auditioned for Nye Hearn, who, who was a great guy, just passed away recently, and... and uh, I auditioned for Nye Hearn, and Nye said, that's the best audition I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, I didn't know what to say, you know. So I got the part, small part in the play, and I started to love acting. And I thought, this is where I thought, Tony, I thought, I'm back, you know. <laughs> thought over with, you know, I was, I was in the, all the spotlight in uh, Showtime, and, and not Showtime, uh, yeah, Showtime, uh, for the fight and meeting, you know, former presidents, not going to get no, no publicity here, <laughs> former, former presidents, and, uh, um, just having a, the life of Riley, as they say in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. You, did you play that show with uh, about Bobby Sands? Bobby Sands MP. Yeah, it was it was a play, beautiful play. Yeah. And what what was your role in there? What was your? This is funny. <laughs> I I played a, a British soldier soldier and an RUC man, which was kind of like the opposite to uh, you know uh, the the what the play was about. Bobby. Yeah, Sands. that's funny. And being a freedom fighter and and all that. So, yeah. I remember that. My mom's Irish. That was like a big deal in our household. I guess like 80, 81 when that was going on, that was a big deal. Yeah. Over yeah. in America, I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. Totally, totally. There were, there, it was, uh, it, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I, you know, it's, we all want a better life, you know, and, and uh, but how do we do it, you know? Well, my, the world, my world is on my shoulders. This is my, and if I'm going to walk around the world resentful or fearful, I'm not contributing to a peaceful, uh, better world. I'm messing the world up. I'm messing people up. I'm, I'm having people get, if I'm stay resentful, I, I just pass it on like the domino effect. So I need to, need to deal with my consciousness right here. I don't leave the house in the morning till I, till I get rid of all my resentments and fears on paper and, and do my meditation. I've done my transcendental meditation, like Tony mentioned, for 25 years. And I get a, I get a, a change in my consciousness where I am, I, uh, I'm actually loving to people or, and, and, and see that everybody has a hard life, not just me, you know, or, or, or others. Everybody has, I don't care how rich you are, everybody has a hard life. I don't care how, how, you, how you are, how privileged you are, everybody has a hard life. And um, I don't want it's to... It's not be easy to live here for anybody. Excuse me? I said it's not easy to live here. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Uh, James, can I, I've got to know, i got to know this. Um, when you were, like, at the height of your boxing and you were going out and having a good time, were people, like, trying to pick fights with you when they were drunk just because they knew who you were? Um, I would stay as anonymous as possible <laughs> because if some people, when they get a couple of drinks, they want to, you know, they want to, you know, have a crack at the title, you know? <laughs> so, uh, not... Very much, but sometimes that would happen. So 
I would <laughs> sometimes people make announcements. Oh, here is uh, you know, or or the band announced, and we have this guy in the room with us tonight. <laughs> oh my <laughs> But sometimes, yeah, not so much. I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. I, um, I don't know what else to say about that. Enough <laughs> <laughs> said. Well, tell us about because you did a. I think you did a play about uh, a boxer. I can't think of his name. Um, Kid, oh, Kid Shamrock, yes. Kid Shamrock, right? That was in, in Broadway, I want to say, or off-Broadway here in New York. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was. I'm getting my friend to get my hair fixed here, Tony. And then you uh, you met, tell us about your friendship with John Duddy. Oh, John, my buddy John, who's a wonderful, great fighter. Who I love. You're right. He's, he's a wonderful John. person. John Agron, it's a great, great guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um I, would you believe this? I was, um, I was uh, flying back to New York. Uh, I live in California now. Uh, I was flying back to New York to see my family or something, or, or a job or something. And on the plane, I was talking to somebody. We were talking about boxing, and I came up, and, and he says, Oh, you know, John Duddy's fighting side. I was like, I know the name. And it was just way back when, and, and near the beginning of his professional career. So I actually brought my bags. Uh, I went straight from the uh, uh, airport to Madison Square Garden, where he was fighting. Sure. And... Uh, I, got, I went. I got to the uh, the stage door entrance in the back there, and uh, the guy says, "Of course, guy knew me, you know." So I got in for free, <laughs> which we should. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm in there. I'm, I'm sitting at ringside, and uh, they move me out of the ringside. They say, they "Say you, you're not supposed to be at ringside." I said, "Well, someone just got me." You know, and and I, I go talking to John Betty's manager about it, and. Uh, he didn't even help me. He, he, he and he kind of. I, I was kind of. Res, maybe I got resentful at him. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they pushed me back into like the upper upper you know, uh, seats, and I, I got up there and I ran into my dad. My dad was up there. Wow. I, I sat on the step beside him. It was so beautiful. I sat on the step beside him, and, and uh, he was watching the fights. And uh, uh, and I, then I afterwards I got to know John, and now we're great friends. He's and uh, and John actually. Retired was, was supposed to fight my other friend Andy Lee, who was one of the, who was a world champion at the, not at the time, but he was a world champion. Um, <clears throat> and uh, he decided he wanted to get out of boxing, which was very very intelligent move by John. <clears throat> so uh, I said, John, I'm playing this lead in this off Broadway play called Kid Shamrock by Bobby Sands, uh, not Bobby Sands, <laughs> by Bobby Cassidy, same first name. I only, do, I only play parts of guys with the name, name Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> it's an issue, okay. right? Anyway, so uh, um, so uh, I said, John. I says, I says, I, I'm playing the, the I'm, I'm in the whole play. You know, I'm not the best at doing remembering lines. Anyway, I have like 350 lines. I said, John, can you play the younger Kid Shamrock? He says, Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, he says, uh, When do you want me to? Start, uh, uh, you know, I had to ask uh, uh, the, the playwright uh, Bobby Cassidy Jr. first, who's a who's a journalist at uh, at uh, Newsday. Right. I had to ask, uh, is that okay? And he says, sure, that's okay, because he runs the show. Uh, and uh, so I asked John. I said, he says, when's rehearsals? I said, we're rehearsing tonight. He was down that night to rehearse. <laughs> He'd never acted before. <laughs> he came down that night. He was brilliant. You know. Well, and, he uh, is brilliant. I mean, look, how his yeah. career has really taken off. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
Yes. But you remain great friends. I, I did a project with the two of you, and, and you were both uh, so close, it was obvious that you were good friends. Yeah, yeah. John's a great guy. Great guy. Well, Tony, can we take a break for a commercial, and when we come back, we talk about what Seamus is working on now? Absolutely. Mm. All right. So, guys, we will be right back. Give us one second. And uh, when we get back, I think uh, we can figure out and maybe even bring up uh, what he is uh, working on. It'll be cool. Well, Tony, we are back to you with Seamus McDonough and John Hartman, our co-hosts. Let's bring them back on, and I'll kick it back over to you, Tony. Okay. Seamus, why don't you tell us what you're working on and what's happening in your life right now? I, first, let me say congratulations before I, I let you get into your career. I know you're a brand-new daddy. Congratulations. Oh, Thank you. Soren. Soren uh, uh, is, is uh, now three months old. And uh, uh, my ex and I, my ex wanted to have a, have a child and... Uh, uh, we're not together anymore. We're, very, we're such good friends, and we'll see what happens. But, yeah, we had it. Well, congratulations. Uh, I know this is an exciting yeah. and busy time, so I wanted to get that out of the way first and, and then say, tell us what's going on with your career. With my career, there's always stuff going on with my career. I, I know. I get a lot of uh, people contacting me to do things, you know, like uh, – Will you you uh, play a part in our movie, or you do our, our, this show, or you do this, or we'll do the appear here, and, and uh, it gets overwhelming at times, you know. And so uh, I've I've uh, wanted to get a manager. I don't have a manager yet, but I don't want anyone to tell me what to do, though. <laughs> but uh, um, so what am I doing now? I uh, I'm, 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 I just finished the screenwriting class with. Uh, uh, Mary, Mary Kate O'Flanagan from Ireland. It was an online class. It was a wonderful class. Um, learning all about screenwriting, which I should do if I'm going to call myself a screenwriter. <laughs> I did take a screenwriting class and, uh, and uh, took a course, actually. And it was wonderful. And it's, well, it's, so you're transitioning more to behind the screen. Is that right? I like don't to- know. Maybe. No, maybe. I mean, I, 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 it's been useful. It's been very useful to know what, what, what they're looking for, what people are looking for, what producers are looking for, what what's uh, what works, uh, what's the formula that has worked before, yeah, as, as we know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I, mostly I know you've done you – did, you did a few uh, indie projects for sure. You did one of the projects that, I, that was me. Um, and – the last I knew, you were working uh, heavily on producing, so I don't know if you continued with that or you're, you know, you're going to go back in front of the camera again. I, I wasn't sure where where you were these days. I'll just I'll just see what happens. I'm open to to any of it. You know, I I've only directed a couple of a couple of short short films. I won uh, the one short called uh, Bullied, which was uh, which I like a lot. I liked uh, it too. Yeah, and. Um, and then, how about our little? How about the little? Uh, someone interviewed me in the Irish Art Center, where where I did Bobby Sands, the, the play. Uh, Sandy Bacon interviewed me. Uh, added a few things from my career. I made a little short movie. I'm sorry, I'm reading, you know, reading something. And I read Paul Simon's uh, The Boxer, and I saw yeah. San Francisco uh, like uh, last year. Um, and she put in put in this in this film um, festival. And it won the film festival. I was like, "What? Wow. Yeah, what's it called? The Boxer? 
Call it a boxer, yeah. Uh, um, Sandy Bacon is, 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 is the uh, Shadow Box Film Festival. It's sure. a box, a box film festival. Sure. Mm. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm hoping... Boom Boom Mancini, wasn't that what just came I, out a year? That is a brilliant movie. Oh is it God. really? Okay. I, I met Boom Boom at, 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 the, at, the, at the showing, at the premiere. I know it was the premiere, but, it, but the movie, the, his movie was in, in the uh, festival. And uh, uh, no, he was in the second year, I think. Yeah, I think I won the first year. I think, I think his movie won, probably won the second year. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I keep yeah, my question today for you, Seamus, was uh, if you could be any crayon in the box, what color would you be and why? I'd be white, because I want to be so anonymous, no one even knows I'm here. You don't show up on the paper. Amen, man. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I keep bugging you to write your, you know, your biography. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I know I've said this to you a million times. To really hear his story from childhood to now is Mm. such a, a journey. It's just riddled with humanity. Uh, yeah. That I, and you have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will, Tony, and and that's probably why I took the the screenwriting class and and all that. And uh, yeah, it. Um, I don't know. If, I mean, for I, I will be asking my child as he's growing up. I will be asking him, "Are you suicidal?" Because I was at ten years old, suicidal. And I don't know why I didn't kill myself. I just wanted to walk over to the trucks whizzing by on the main road near where I lived. <clears throat> so I'd be asking him that. So since I would say, ask your children, are they suicidal? Have they ever thought about that? Because I had depression as a child, you know. Yeah. It's a major component of alcoholism, <clears throat> depression. Absolutely. It's, they've even had uh, the youngest reported suicide recently was four years old. and People think it's a bunch of bunk. And I've had people just angrily respond like, I mean, are you kidding me? Do you even hear what you say out of your own throat, Marty? It's so ridiculous. Mm. A kid that, that wanted to, I'm like, well, maybe then you need to begin to, like, look it up and read it for yourself since you're educated with a doctoral um, and come to grips with what. And then again, I just called uh, because I become a granddad, Seamus, wow. uh, a month ago. I'm 55, but um, just last week. You know, in the Wall Street Journal, they reported a significant 25% rise in children arriving at the emergency room in the United States between the ages of 5 and 12. A 25% rise because they're having difficulty coping with re-entry into society, going back to school. Um, it's just like whether you like it or not or you think it's a bunch of bunk and you don't agree with it or you think I'm lying or whatever – um, just look at the math. Maybe pay attention to what's going on because you're exactly right. It's very important. I've talked with my daughter many times about it's normal to feel like you want to do that. There's no shame in that. Those types of feelings, feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. And, you know, let's talk about it. And it may not even be right there in their consciousness. It's like that, that it's, it's, it's uh, sub, at the subconscious level. That's why... Talking about my problems is good, and it gets some relief, but it doesn't remove them. It doesn't doesn't deal with them. And actually, uh, but writing does. 
writing can 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 uh, 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 get to that place at a subconscious level to find out what's underneath what I'm thinking and what's what's driving me to do this. Um, should I do this? I, try, I, try, I write down my fears about it. Like so, it's called false evidence appearing real. F E A R fear. So I, I write it down, and as I start writing it down, I, I get moved into kind in re, into reality, and the fear, the false evidence, starts to disappear, and I'm more in. It's not, it's not that I'm. I, I want to fix it. I want it removed because reality is right now, right here, right now. And what I think is going to happen in the future is actually delusion. I'm not, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And, and all, all the, there is, actually is no future, only what I make up in my head. Uh, and that is only there because I have a past, I have a, I have a memory of a faulty past that I'm projecting as the future. So it's completely, it's the greatest movie ever made in my head. So I start to... Uh, um, Break down the script, write it down. Uh, I, I'm going to give the little formula right here. The number one offender is resentment. So I write down, I am resentful at. And I, I would, used to always be resentful at my dad because I never wanted a box. I never wanted a fight. I, I, I write down, I'm resentful at my dad because I fear he didn't love me. And he did love me. you know. But my, my fear was because he wasn't doing what I wanted. I wasn't getting what I wanted. He didn't love me. Fear... He doesn't care about me, same thing. Fear, um, I'll get brain damage. Fear, oh, so I write them all down. And then uh, the most profound uh, uh, other uh, thing to do is to write down your fears with no resentments attached, like fear about uh, fear about money, fear about getting old, fear about looking old, fear of all these, write them down. And what happens is they start to dissipate. And then I found room, there's a space there, right after doing that, I just close my eyes and I slip into transcendental meditation and the effect is so beautiful and so calming and has me okay with the world, not blaming anybody for anything because really and truly no one's to blame for anything. Everyone's just a product of the past, which they didn't make up. And it's a product of a faulty path. So it's all delusion, really. It's all, all faulty. So write it all down, and I'm in, back in reality, which is right now. And that's my lecture for today. I'm kidding. <laughs> Thank you so much for your testimony. It's, it's a wonderful ministry that you're running. <laughs> you're welcome. <Bless. laughs> no, well, I mean, <laughs> all, of, all of this, you know, really did help Seamus find his footing and change his life, so... Mm. An amazing, amazing, amazing life he's had so far. Yeah. Yeah. And um, now I have a very, very prestigious shoeshine company. That's right. Tell us yeah. about that. It's got a message on my phone. Yeah, so can you hear the, uh, uh, the ambulance going by? There's a hospital up the hill, and there's a fire station to the left. So I'm like, I'm always bombarded with it. Uh, so... Yeah, I was out of work at tw uh, 25 years ago, and a friend of mine, Kevin Tui, um, he, there they come again. Oh, my God. What's he? Fires downtown. Sorry. <laughs> San Francisco. This is the city for you. So, 
Kevin uh, was had become manager of a of a business downtown. So he says, "Hey, you, you look, you need work." I says, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." He says, I just got back in this shoeshine company. He says, "Do you want a job?" I says, "I said, what would I do?" He says, "Shine shoes." I said, "Really?" So I did it. I loved it, you know. And uh, uh, then I started my own company and called theshoeshine.com. There's a plug, theshoeshine.com. And what I do is I help um, exhibitors at, at conventions get leads. Uh, we find out what they're selling or promoting, and we find their pitch down eight to ten seconds, and we and we uh, prospect people walking past. And what happens is we make them lots of money, and they love us. And uh, we're the best shoeshine company in the world. <laughs> Sure, and you and you are usually at one convention center or another. I know you you've actually made a, quite a success of the business. So congratulations with that. Congratulations, thank you. I think we have something here from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. So I'm not sure if you guys. Uh, let me put the sound on for you. Oh, Danny boy, <laughs> the pipes, the pipes are calling. Seamus McDonough's version of Danny Boy could be heard down the corridors of Moscone Center, a welcomed interlude from the hustle and bustle of another trendy convention. Wow, that's the best time I've ever seen in my life. The Irishman is a shoe shiner, and while he'll leave your European pumps shining anew, it is his spirit that polishes your heart. To know me is to love me. Yeah. <laughs> I must be a hell of a guy. <laughs> him, he'd swear he'd taken one punch too many. <laughs> the truth is, there is much more to Seamus McDonough than a tin of polish. He hits the shoes like he's delivering a right cross, as he once did to the eventual heavyweight champion of the world. Look closely. In his shoeshine box is a reminder of that fateful night in Atlantic City some 13 years ago. Seamus McDonough, 2-11 and 3 quarters. Evander Holyfield, 210 pounds. Tyson got, was supposed to fight Holyfield in June of 1990, Atlantic City. Tyson got, Tyson got knocked out by Douglas in Japan. So I looked in the rankings. They saw I was number nine in the world as a heavyweight. And they asked me to fight him. And I was good copy back in New York. I was in St. John's University doing a little bit of acting. You know, Irish, you know, gregarious, boisterous, you know. So they asked me. And you were white. I'm still white. It was almost like the movie script. Only this was real. McDonough was 19-1-1, Holyfield, 23-0. and 0. Even his father admitted that Seamus wasn't ready. But when a $100,000 payday was offered, McDonough jumped at the chance. To me, it's a perfect style. For me, it's a perfect style. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, that, considering the fact that I hit harder than his last two opponents, hit harder than Alex and harder than Michael Dokes. So I think my chances are excellent. The first round was, was I was out of it. I was so fearful. I, I, I kept falling down, you know, that movie falling down. I kept falling down. <laughs> you hit me on top of the head. It was not even a hard punch. I'd fall down. Because anything would have, you know, you could have knocked me down that night. McDonough got back up. But his life changed for good in the fourth round. After a furious exchange, Holyfield lands two hard rights. McDonough's knees buckled, and he went down. And at 44 seconds into the fourth round, it was over. The whole thing seemed to me like it was a whole fight. Like it happened in 10 seconds. I don't know. It just happened so quick. I don't know. 
Uh, I've never fought anybody in Andrew's class. He's, he's a great he's a great fighter. He'll be the next world champion, believe me. Who wants a free shoe shine? Thirteen years later, Seamus McDonough free is here, shine. and he says losing to Holyfield saved his life. Behind the boxer was a heavy drinker who was suicidal and at one time failed in an attempt to take his own life. Everything happened exactly how it did to get me right here right now, so I have no regrets. I'm happier now than I ever have been in my life. Seamus hasn't had a drink in eight years, and he doesn't thirst for the boxing ring or the recognition from his five minutes of fame. But every now and then, if you're lucky, he'll tell you a story. Sometimes I bring it up, because I have, I have uh, to keep this little picture handy. That's your proof. That's me knocking the lunch out of him. Yeah, my proof. Most people don't believe me. The summer's gone, and all the flowers are dying. Tis you, tis you must come, and we must go. Joining us now is uh, Seamus McDonough from his home in San Francisco. Seamus, are you still shoe shining? I am uh, still in the shoe shine business. Uh, I do a lot of uh, shows on the road now. I've turned it into a marketing company. Also, I'm, I, I got into acting. I've been to film school since I did that interview. I was the lead in a sitcom in New York, the lead in a cramp series in L.A. I did three movies. And then after doing all, all those things, I realized none of them made it to the, to the screen. I was like, what's going on here? So I went to film school in Berkeley, the Berkeley Digital Film Institute, and learned how to make film. Uh, you have two sisters who are nurses in New York City, and they both came down with this uh, disease. What's the update on them? Well, they actually weren't tested, but they had all the symptoms. And they're both nurses. They all stayed at home. And they got over it. They're back and, both are back at work now doing, doing the same thing again. Uh, they're nurses at Mount Sinai Hospital up on the east side of Manhattan. And they're on the front lines uh, working. Finally. Wow. Wow. So it was Just great to see you in action there. Uh, it's great to see you in action, Seamus. Both to see some clips for the from the fight, uh, which is on YouTube. I think anybody can see pretty much the entire fight. Which is it's it's, it's thing here. So some guy came over to me recently, like basically not, not that long ago, and says that fight was topped illegally. I said why? He says because when you got up, I got up at the end. I got up. He says the count only, only reached seven eight. And it's supposed to go to 10, so Basashi stopped illegally. <laughs> wow. Well, wow. that's interesting. Maybe I'll go back and watch it again to see I that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it was it's kind of neat to go back and watch the fight to see you at probably the height of your boxing career. Uh, but what I liked best about the little footage we saw uh, is it really captures you, the you I know, you know, the singing, uh, the the storytelling, because uh, I don't think we've ever spoken or gotten together where you didn't have a great story to tell me. Either something, you know, Marty Seamus is one of those people that you say, hey, you know, what have you been up to? And Seamus will be like, can you believe it? I just walked in. I was there with Matt Dillon. And we were like, and he has this great story to tell you of some just obscure thing that happened to him. And, and it's all these different celebrities. And I mean, a, great, a great spirit about him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great testimonial, uh, like President Bush, you know, uh, who also has said many times, uh, you know, with his DUI and becoming a criminal, you could still become president of the United States. So, yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't know that President Bush um, was an alcoholic. Yeah. 
yeah. Very kind guy, very kind guy. I saw a documentary about him recently. It was wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so Seamus has got the heart of a storyteller. Uh, so I think that was the, one of the nicest things about seeing that video from me just now. I think he got that essence. He's telling the story, shining his shoes, he's singing. Yeah. And we're all a constellation of our past. I mean, like, um, I guess I've had this very flowery uh, past. Uh, growing up born in England, in Birmingham, we live at 281 Warwick Road. Uh, the family moved to Ireland. My dad was very successful in England. Ireland, nothing. Just couldn't get work for some reason, just a bad, you know. And then he came here, like his father, and uh, I was reading... Uh, I'm, we're still. I still see the. I, I see it in myself. I heard an expression you say about the about the colonial hangover from England, from the Irish colonial hangover, from being do, you know dominated and ruled by in, the English for so many years, and and where they you know nothing knows to blame for anything, but that's this is a fact that happened was they killed the culture and and they they they, they kind of killed the spirit. But yeah, that's what I was wondering. Did your dad have the wrong accent in Ireland? No, he never lost his accent. In England, when he was 15, with his dad, his mom, his mom passed away with a heart attack. His his dad was here, and his mom passed away with a heart attack. Uh, he had the Irish accents. Yeah. Oh, he had to, Okay, all right, yeah. Because sometimes down here where I live in the south, people have said, you know, you've got the wrong accent to be talking to me, or, you know, I have a Yankee accent, a northern that, accent. That is funny because we had the English accent, so we were... We were in, 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 my dad wanted to talk with Irish accents, but we were raised in England. I was 10 years old when I came to Ireland. And sure. Accents, you know, and, uh. Have more but, of an Irish accent now than you do. I surely would about you. <laughs> <laughs> Tony knows I do a lot of accents. That's he does. Part, Marty, that's the worst Irish accent I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> Here's but it's enough to fool Tony, and that's what's important. Who's easily that's, okay. fooled? <laughs> far, 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 here's a joke. There's a, a joke here. Far and away, the worst accent I ever heard. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Uh, when, I, when I went to Ireland, it was the time of my life. I often tell people it was fantastic. We went to the Cliffs of Mohair. Um, I was a little disappointed with all the Budweiser signs down the, the street. And I asked a gentleman in a bar, and he said, well, you know, this is kind of like the 51st state. I was like, oh, okay, because, you know, we have like Budweiser is so famous in America. I didn't expect to see all that here. And we went all the way down south to, of course, um, Blarney Castle was a big thing for all Americans. And we waited like an hour all the way up the, the fortress steps, all the way up the castle walls. And finally got out into the open clearing, and you're waiting in line. And, and, and finally, you know, an hour and a half later, we got over there, and the guy said, you know, so go on ahead, lay down now, upside down, and you'll hang out at the edge of the castle, and I'll hold on to your legs. And you kissed the Blarney Stone upside down. And I was like, are you out of your damn mind? I, I wasted an hour and a half. There's no way you're holding on to my legs while you hold me. He's like, well, everyone's doing it next. And the next person came up and laid down. I was, you people must be out of your damn minds. And so <laughs> I, went, I, I went off and I did not kiss the Barney Stones. <laughs> but I loved, loved Ireland. I agree with you, Marty. I didn't, I didn't kiss the Barney Stone. I bit it. You bit it? <laughs> okay. 
Well, oh. that's all for today, guys. Um, we really appreciate having you, Seamus. Thank you. And, uh, uh, good luck to you. I'm still looking for funding for my next movie. <laughs> yes, funding is critical. Um, well, where can people see? Where can people, uh, you know, see anything going on with you? Funding or the like? Is there a web page? Is there a, a, a Twitter or something? People can reach me on my on my business website, which is the or the shoeshine dot com. T h e shoeshine dot com. All my information is on there. Contact information. Good. Okay. Well, Seamus, it's been delightful to see you. I'm so happy to get to lay eyes on you, even if it is virtually. Likewise. Yeah, and, and he lives in, in beautiful San Francisco. Yeah. My gosh. Thank you, Mark. Rice the cable cars, Coit yeah. Tower. I drove my wife across that Golden Gate Bridge from the reverse side of Sausalito. She was crying, called her mother here in North Carolina, told her, you won't believe I'm driving across the Golden Gate Bridge, Mom, um, Alcatraz. Uh, you got to go down to Fisherman's Wharf and get the, the chowder in the bread bowl. I always tell people, get the edible bread bowl bowl. You know, don't get the plastic thing. Or There's so much to see and do there. That's my favorite city in the whole world. You're, you're in a great place. Yeah, it's, it's actually one of my favorite cities also, Marty. So it's great to meet you. And, and it's always a joy to communicate, to see you, Tony, just to, to know you. So thank you so much. And John, I know where he is now. He's down there somewhere. But just, just you ran off the thank court. You. <laughs> you had to go to the court. Take care, Seamus. Bye, Seamus. On the Turtle Network. Si se puede.